Hey there, I'm Father Roderick, and welcome to my weekly show. Recording this at the end of a very long and busy day. What else is new in my life? (laughs) I'll bring you up to speed as soon as this jingle is over. Thank you for listening. We're going to talk about a whole lot of uh, topics today, as usual. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. This episode is brought to you thanks to my patrons, uh, the group of supporters that help me produce this content. Not just what you what you listen to on the podcast or what you watch on the live stream, but also the videos that I try to produce by right now actually five times per week on my YouTube page. And I'm so happy that I can reserve time, that I can some, from time to time buy some new equipment, actually One of my next purchases will have to be a new computer because now that I'm doing all the streaming and all the the YouTube production, uh, I'll always have to go to the office to do that because my home computer is six years old and it just doesn't... Uh, doesn't work uh, anymore. At least not uh, not it's, it's not good enough for what I try to do. So it, and it's thanks to my patrons that I'm able to do that. So if you want to join them and get access to a second weekly podcast, or actually a third because I'm doing two other podcasts, but and this podcast that I record for my patrons is exclusive to them. Gives you a little bit more of a personal insight in my life and what's going on behind the scenes, and uh, also the, sometimes the plans that I'm making. So I share that with my patrons, and as soon as you join the group of patrons, then you'll get automatically access to that podcast as well. Do you know what's going on? This is what's happening in your world. They said Catholics rule. We got Boston, South America, the good part of Ireland, and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique, baby. You've taken your first step into a larger world. So very, very busy days, uh, or actually weeks. I'm currently uh, in the middle of... Uh, an, a, a big edit of three ep- episodes, or three TV episodes, so that's a total of about an hour and a half of documentary um, that I'm compiling from footage that I shot many years ago in Australia and New Zealand, and I'm updating it. Um, so I'm, I'm doing, I think, a much better edit than I would have been able to do um, you know, years ago because I didn't have that much experience. But I can also insert new footage, uh, kind of bring the story up to date as well because, of course, uh, in Australia and New Zealand, lots of things have happened since I visited there. So it's a lot of fun. It's a bit of a puzzle. Um, but I'm very happy. So I just finished the the first episode, which takes place in Adelaide. So I start in Adelaide, then I go to Sydney, Um and that, that's also where it ends. Um, and the final part was the most fun to edit because uh, we were filming in the, the koala park. And so you see me uh, petting koalas and, and uh, uh, kangaroos and lots and lots of beautiful uh, animals. Um, so it was a lot of fun to do. Also a lot of work, so I'm really glad that the, it's currently rendering while I'm recording this. Hopefully uh, nothing will go wrong, then I'll upload it, and tomorrow they'll uh, make it ready for TV. And then I have two more episodes to do. So the second one will be about uh, my trip to Melbourne. Well, actually, first I go to the Blue Mountains, which is uh, west to Sydney, uh, with Adrian Middledorp. And then I go to Melbourne, meet a lot of great people there. And from there I fly to New Zealand and I start in Christchurch in horrible weather. I, I remember it as if it was yesterday. Uh, it's like a, a storm and, and rain, horrible, horrible weather. But fortunately, the next day it clears up, and then I travel by car south to, um, uh, well, the location basically where they filmed um, most of the mountain scenes of The Lord of the Rings. Um, so there are lots and lots of scenic locations uh, in that area. And then, do I go, wait, or do I start, no, 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 wait a minute, I forget something. I think I started in Wellington. And in Wellington, I visited uh, uh, Weta Studios um, and, and got a tour of the, of the city. Uh, also some Hobbit locations there or Lord of the Rings locations. From there, I went to Christchurch, from Christchurch to the south of the island. And then from there, all the way up back north. Uh, and, and ended my trip in Matamata, where you have the beautiful set uh, of of the the Shire, where um, uh, the well, where Frodo and Bilbo live, or lived. <laughs> so, all of that is still ahead of me. Um, it's it's a lot of work, but it's also fun. Anyway, uh, the second big thing that happened this week was yesterday. 
and I was invited to uh, to come over to uh, the headquarters of Disney in Amsterdam. So, uh, as you can imagine, Disney is a big global corporation. They have offices all over the place, um, but a very big office is in Amsterdam. Uh, there, are, there, I think there are between four and five hundred people working there in various divisions, and I was asked to speak at their monthly town hall meeting. So. Disney right now in the Netherlands is is very big. As you can remember, uh, Disney Plus started in the Netherlands, um, but they also have tons of other departments. And uh, they're now uh, cr currently on two floors of one building, and then there are two separate buildings in the neighborhood where Disney is located. And so in order to make that a team and to build up uh, like a communal, um, I don't know, just a, I guess... A, a, some kind of a, um, a community from the people that work there. <laughs> they, they, they do these meetings where they will share what's going on in the various departments and then they invite a speaker uh, to for, for some inspiration. And, and so for the first town hall meeting, they invited me. And that was, a, that was really, really great. Um, I loved just walking around and seeing that professional organization and hearing what everybody was doing. I mean, it's the kind of stuff that you dream of, you know, like, oh, wow. I've, I just finished reading Bob Iger's book, of course, uh, about his time at, uh, at Disney. So I, I was completely up to date uh, with the, you know, the, the last developments leading up to the launch of Disney+. Plus. And, uh, and, and then I, I actually kind of became part of the story uh, because that's what they again told me, and I think I've already mentioned this in a previous show. The reason that they invited me was that my video that I recorded on the morning Disney Plus went live in the Netherlands. That video went went not only viral in, in the world, but also went viral in the company. And it was watched by almost everyone who who works at Disney, not just in the Netherlands, but also in the United States, including all the, the, the big people uh, up at the top of, of uh, Disney management. And so they were super excited because for them it was the first time that they saw what their hard work provoked as a reaction in the fans. And, well, you know me, I, I, I kind of, I tend to be a little enthusiastic about things, So, but it really made their day and it was such a comfort for them to see that, uh, at least with this fan, it was uh, definitely uh, a 100% success. So um, I, I told my story um, about uh, actually a, a, a number of the things that, that I write about in my book. So I started with my visit to Disneyland Paris where I was very depressed at the time because I was uh, suffering from a burnout and how the story of the uh, Sorcerer's Apprentice, the Mickey's version, um, uh, actually taught me a very important lesson that you are allowed to be an apprentice. You don't have to be a master. You don't have to be the savior of the universe. So it it it, it, ta it taught me again to become um, uh, to, well to become an apprentice. I, I can't put it any other way. So Mickey is kind of a, a, an icon for for me and, and and a model, a role model in that story for me. Um, as a priest, because you always keep learning, and the moment you think you can you can do it all, that's when you fail. And then I told a story about uh, how Mulan uh, made a big impact on me because of my Chinese her heritage, and so I talked a little bit about that. Then I went to uh, Marvel, so I told them or I shared how much um, Spider Man and some of the other Marvel heroes how much they mean to Ezra, my my little nephew who is uh, uh, suffering from, from autism, autism, how much uh, a hero like Spider-Man became his role model. Because it's the whole idea of this: there's this young man, but the world only sees the mask, but doesn't know that there is so much strength on the inside. And that is kind of, for him, uh, 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 something that, that he often thinks about uh, because, of course, uh, with uh, being you know diagnosed on the autism spectrum, sometimes has trouble interacting with other kids or, you know, doesn't doesn't get the the same respect as other kids get. So um, you see that in a younger generation, 
it works the same. And then from there, it was an easy jump to uh, the stories of Luke Skywalker and Star Wars, now also part of Disney, of course. So I told them how, how much Luke Skywalker became for me a role model when it came to his idealism and also his um, ability to always look for what's still good in someone. You know, th this belief that there is still good in Vader. That, for me, became uh, a, a leading... Um, principle i think in a way i try to look at the world around me i try to look at other people and and how i try to look at myself uh we we make mistakes we hurt each other but there is also in everyone there's always a little bit of good and you have to see if you can uh, you know amplify that that is what star wars is all about for me and then i ended and that was a lot of fun so i started i usually have this um this uh, travel bag, or in this case, it was a backpack. Um, and I tell them, well, I have some objects from my travels, and then I take the, the objects out. So it started with Mickey, uh, like a doll, a Mickey doll. And then uh, at one point, I, I take out the lightsaber. So you keep people on the edge, like what is going to be the, the, the next object? And for the last one, I took out Baby Yoda. And so I, there were a couple of hundred people there. <laughs> You should have seen them. It was like this gasp and this like, oh, baby Yoda. <laughs> People started taking pictures and everything. And I, I also said, well, this is not licensed, you know, because the real toys are not there yet. So this is homemade. This is, uh, and someone said, it's art, it's art. <laughs> but unbelievable how much of an impact that doll uh, made uh, on, on the people that... Um, well, are, are very, very close to the production of The Mandalorian and everything. So much fun. And I talked a little bit about why I thought that, that Baby Yoda had such an impact on people. And my theory is that Baby Yoda reminds us of the fact that you should never judge on the outside. Um, they're, they're, from the outside, you see a vulnerable child. And it reminds us that children need protection um, and uh, baby Yoda or the child in the Mandalorian is constantly threatened but that there is also this inner strength, this potential in this child and sometimes you see glimpses of that when he stretches his little hand out and saves the day by using the force well that is a, I think a beautiful metaphor of children in general where there is a strength that will sometimes already show when they're little, but it's mostly what, what St. Thomas Aquinas would call potential, potentia. It is a, an inner strength that needs space to grow, needs to be protected so it can actually come to full fruition. And I think ultimately, of course, that that inner strength is no less than the Holy Spirit itself. I didn't mention that at Disney <laughs> because I wanted to keep it, uh, I wanted to tell the story in such a way that everyone could relate to it, whether they were Catholic or not. By the way, there were actually uh, quite a few people that walked up to me and said, oh, I'm Catholic too. <laughs> so that was a lot of fun. Um, but it, it's, it, for me, it was an exercise to, to build a bridge between the world of, of Disney and the stories that Disney tells and the world of, of the organization to which I was speaking, and my own world. And one of the things that I told them, uh, or that was kind of how I ended, was um, that they, even though they work sometimes on a very technical level, I mean, we had a whole presentation from the, the person who was leading the sports division, and it's all about, you know, contracts and making money, etc. So it may seem very, very business-oriented, but I, I try to, I said, I want to remind you of the fact that you work for a company that tells stories that can change the world. Because these stories convey values to children. And it's, and stories are the most powerful way to transmit values to this young generation. And so the icons, the examples that you set, and it's even true for sports. Sports also, a good sportsmanship's, Ship, sportsmanship brings people together and inspires them. Um, and, and so that is that too, I think, is very, very in line with the rest of the, of the mission of, um, of Disney, which they formulate themselves as, we want to provide the world with magical moments. And I said, well, what is a magical moment? A magical moment is a moment that you realize that the world is not flat. 
that there is more to this life, that there is something that, that kind of escapes you, but that you sense and that inspires you. And so <laughs> I, of course, have also my theological thoughts about that, but I think it's true. That, that is, I think, what Disney tries to do. And it's, so it's very, much closer, I think, to what I as a priest uh, try to do or what the what church tries to do um, than many people realize. So, uh, got some really, really good feedback on that talk, and uh, they gave me a like a, a present from the Disney store, which is a big uh, mural that I, where it's, it's a, like a, a Star Wars art thing that I can put on a wall. Fortunately, I've got a big rectory, so <laughs> I may have a spare wall for that. I haven't unpacked it yet, but it's it's pretty massive, so it's a, a nice, you know, art design poster or whatever. Um, and then... You know, I'm pretty sure that we'll keep in touch. They keep inviting me to the red carpet premieres of Star Wars. Well, of course, the next one, that's going to be uh, a couple of years from now. But who knows in which other ways our, our paths will, will cross. Uh, for me, it was very inspiring to see such a big company. and But it all started just like in my own work with, you know, what is your mission? Why do you do the things you do? And that is ultimately what can forge... This, this community or this unity inside a big organization. And I think in a parish, it's the same thing. If we, if we lose track of what, why we are here and what our true mission is, then we lose ourselves in the technicalities of management and finances and stuff. And that does not feed the soul and it doesn't grow the church. So uh, anyway, it was a very, very interesting uh, afternoon. Um, let's move over to the first segment of the show, and that is, of course, my uh, weekly visit to the world of movies and TV shows. Now, I haven't had much time to watch long movies because I've been uh, working oof, lots and lots of hours, too many actually, but I did watch a little bit of TV, um, some Netflix, of course, I'm still catching up on uh, Clone Wars, but I also watched a new series that I found very interesting. How do you not like movies? They're predictable, like... The guy gets the girl, and that kid sees dead people, and Darth Vader is Luke's father. Not liking movies is like not liking puppies. They're fine. I just get bored and never make it to the end. You know, you need a movie education. You need a movication. I'm going to give it to you. So someone recommended to me a series on Netflix called Messiah. And of course, that sparked my interest, <laughs> being a priest. So I started watching the first few episodes, and... It is really interesting. So it tells this story about... Uh, the, it starts in, in Jordania, I think. Or Jordany, I should say. Uh, so right across the border with Israel. And you see a group of Muslims and there is... I don't know, they're talking or maybe there's a protest going on. Uh, yeah, I think that's it. There, there's some civil unrest. And, and then the, you see this guy standing uh, on a corner of the street and he's preaching. And we hear people say, well, he's been, he's been standing there for hours and hours and hours. He hasn't eaten, he didn't rest, he doesn't drink, but he keeps talking. And, and he's got quite a crowd. And, um, well, we don't immediately know what he's preaching, but people, there's this buzz, like, this is what's going on, this is special. And then there was talk about a miracle that had happened. And, uh, and all of a sudden, this Messiah, this... Who, definitely a more kind of a, a Jesus archetype. Uh, he speaks, you know, Ar Arabic very well, um, quotes the, the, um, uh, the Quran, um, and he starts to, you know, tell people, we need to go to, um, to, to Jerusalem. We need to go pray on um, uh, the Holy Mount. Uh, we need to go. And so they travel to the border with Israel. And of course, there's panic on the other side and there's an insurgents. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, he is actually in Jerusalem. And he's just walking around there in the streets and nobody knows how he got there. And um, what, what impressed me is, you know, I visited um, Israel not so long ago and it looks as if it is really filmed there, um, which is very cool. Uh, I'm pretty sure there's some green screen involved because I don't think they would give permission to do that, but but still. Um, and uh, and then well, more miracles start to happen and constantly you're in this zone of, is this, is this truly miraculous or is there a natural explanation to what I see? 
So it does a little bit the X-Files uh, thing, you know, the, the Mully and Scolder. Mulder, Scully and Mulder, <laughs> where one is a believer and the other one is more rational. And in every episode, you're like, well, was this supernatural or is there a natural uh, or a scientific explanation? Well, this series absolutely plays with the same thing. And I don't think we'll discover that at the end of the season, if this is, is, if this is a true messiah or just, a, I don't know, uh, maybe an Im Im imposter or, I don't know, someone with a, like a magician. I don't know. Uh, but, but intriguing. And I thought it was very well produced. It reminds me in style a little bit of um, Homeland, uh, the series Homeland. And that is a compliment because I, I really liked that series. And with that, very quick segment, time for the Peculiar Bunch. <laughs> Catholics rock! Here at the Peculiar Bunch, we're always happy to tell you everything you always wanted to know about Catholics and their faith and traditions, but you were afraid to ask. Catholics can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. No meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? And today I want to address a question that I get asked time and again, especially when I'm streaming video games. Man, you guys got more crazy rules than Blockbuster Video. And that question is, um, well, actually, it's one question, but asked in many different forms. And it usually starts with someone uh, asking, while I'm in the middle of shooting stormtroopers or something like that, or rebels, or rebel scum, um, uh, Father, may I ask a question? Is it a sin to dot, 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 dot? I mean, I can't count the number of times that people ask me this. Is it a sin to so-and-so, this and that? And I'm always a bit surprised to get questions that to me are so obviously not sins. Like, is it a sin to play video games? Asking me while I'm playing a video game and streaming it to the world. I was like, uh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> or another person asked me, is it, a, is it a sin to watch Star Wars? Asking that to a massive Star Wars fan who watches Star Wars on a daily basis. So... What's my answer? Well, I don't think so. <laughs> and I got another question the other day. It was a, bit, a little bit more serious. Is it a sin if I hide my social media activities from my mom because she's always, she always wants to know everything that I do and I, I, I'm in love with this girl, but I don't want her to mingle with that because the moment she gets on my Facebook profile or she'll, she'll start, you know, messaging that girl and I have, uh, is it, is it a sin if I if I tell my mom to not if I if I refuse my mom to be on my social media accounts? So that one made me think a little bit, and uh, my my initial or actually my final re response was uh, I don't think it's a sin. Actually, I think that we all have the need for our private lives, and of course your mother may be very concerned. Um, but if you have an open communication with her, there are also some limits as to what she ha is entitled to know. Well, of course, if you go, uh, I don't know, uh, steal cars or do drugs or anything, yes, I think you should tell your mom <laughs> and get help. But uh, in this case, you know, when, when it's about your, your relationship with this girl, then I would say, no, you you are not ob obliged to forward all your emails with her to your mom. Uh, absolutely not. But try to work on a good relationship with your mom so that she doesn't feel that anxiety. But that's probably behind her interference. Is this like, can I trust my son? Well, if you have a good relationship, then and a, a good relationship also requires you to protect, to set boundaries, and that goes both ways. Parents have to have boundaries. Children, I think, are also allowed to have boundaries. By all means, they should have boundaries, and parents should respect the boundaries of their of their children. Um, but it's all all depends on the kind of relationship that you have, and so. Uh, be as honest as possible, but also be honest about your limitations. So don't try to hide anything from your mom, but tell your mom, hey, I don't want you on my Facebook account or on my Instagram because that is that's the place where I hang out with my friends, you know? It's like a party or anything where you don't want 
to take your mom with you when you go to someone else's birthday party or something like that? Or if you go out for a, for a night out and you go dancing and you, you don't want your parents to stand next to you? Well, it's the same thing with, with social media. That Those are spaces. And sometimes you need to have your own space with your friends. And parents have nothing to, to, to do there. Um, and that is actually also, I think, how I try to to answer all these other questions. Is it a sin to dot, dot, dot? The question I think that you should ask is, does it break my relationship with God to dot, dot, dot? Does it hurt my relationship with other people to if I do this or act like that? Because sin is always about relationships. And a sin in itself is not, it's not the same as a transgression of a, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, traffic rules or something like it's not like like uh, driving through a red light. Um, there are some similarities, but it, it goes way beyond this um, uh, this legal uh, uh, environment. It, it, sin is about you know hurting a relationship, and if you if you start with that, that's also what I always uh, invite people to do when they come to confession. They don't know where to start. Like okay. Let's start with how is your relationship with the people around you? Have you hurt someone? Have you insulted someone? Did you, I don't know. And then it's much easier to find examples of things that people did wrong. And then next question is, how is your relationship with God? Is it okay? Do you think you're, you know, on speaking terms with God? Or do you keep things uh, hidden away from God? Are there, are there portions or parts in your life where you don't want God to, to, to be? Um, and, it's different from you know keeping your parents out of you know parts of your private life. With God, He is a loving presence, and and so wherever you are dealing with love or friendship, then He should be involved and He should be there. But He's not there to judge or to you know tell you, hey, don't do that or watch out for that. But He's there as a loving presence. But are there things that that you couldn't? open up to God, uh, where, where you don't want God to know, well, then that is probably a, 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 matter, a matter to bring up in confession. And then the final thing is, how do you look at, how is the relationship with yourself? Do you respect yourself? Do you listen to your body? Do you listen to, um, are you, um, and I, I'm, I'm making the most mistakes there, you know, am I respecting the life that God gave me, or am I using it up? Am I burning the candle at both ends? Um, do do I have negative self talk? Do can I can I respect myself and love myself just as God asks me to love my neighbor? Those are the questions that usually immediately open up a, a conversation in in uh, during confession. So that's that's the kind of advice that I give while I'm playing video games. Can't make this up. I never thought I would uh, talk about sin while playing Battlefront 2. <laughs> the extraction theory papers. Am I the only one who did the reading? It's true that Bela also says in the chat room, people ask if you if something is a sin because they trust you as an expert and as someone who cares about them. That is true. That's also part of the relationship. People feel very safe. And of course, a chat room uh, is pretty anonymous. You, you know, you can just use a screen name. And so... Oftentimes, people will be much more personal in the things they tell me or share or or ask than they would be in a in a real life conversation. That that is why I think this ministry, this online ministry, has its value next to, of course, all the you know real life ministry that we have in the church. It's time to talk briefly about books. So I have, because I've been working so hard, um, not read as much as I would like to. I'm still way ahead of schedule when it comes to my uh, my goal of reading 52 books this year. Um, I'm actually still six books ahead of the game. So I'm good there. Um, I finished reading two books uh, that I also talked about last week, Creativity Inc. and The Ride of a Lifetime, which is Bob Iger's autobiography. Um, and the part that I hadn't uh, read when I did my review last week was the parts where he he talks about the uh, collaboration with Steve Jobs and uh, the integration or, well, actually the the uh, purchase of Pixar by Disney. So this, this relationship starts uh, when Steve Jobs 
introduces iTunes to the world. And his idea is this is this is going to be the future of media distribution. People are no longer going to buy physical uh, uh, CDs or whatever. It's all going to be digitally uh, um, sold. And so we need a platform for that. And it's not just going to be for audio, it's also going to be for video. And the moment that he announced that, that's where Bob Iger went to see uh, Steve Jobs and said, hey, I want to be on that platform. Already at that time, he was thinking about, we should move in that direction with Disney because the world of physical media is going to end. And if we rely too much on theatrical re releases and physical media, we are going to lose in the future. And so he struck a deal with Steve Jobs, uh, got the, you know, the, the Disney movies on the, the iPods and also the phones, and back then, the first video iPod, remember that one? It had a tiny little post stamp, stamp, yeah, post stamp uh, screen. And yet they were able to sell videos at, at full price. You'd pay, I don't know, 20 bucks to watch a video on a tiny little screen. Um, but that, of course, became the, the start of, well, what we now take for granted. It's online distribution and you can watch it anywhere and uh, on, on many, many different screens. What I love about this, the way he tells the story, is that he he talks about the friendship that developed. So at first he approached Steve Jobs, and Steve could be very temperamental, and so he was very very careful uh, not to get on Steve's you know uh, temperamental side. But at the same time, he was really eager to take over Pixar. He said, you know, Pixar was so way ahead of the game. Uh, compared to Disney, that they needed Pixar also to 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 fix Disney to to fix Disney animation, and uh, so he he pitched it to Steve, totally expecting that that Steve Jobs would refuse it because Pixar was very very special to uh, to to Steve Jobs. This is also something that is stressed uh, in the other book that I read, Creativity Inc., where um, at one point Steve Jobs tells the people at Pixar uh, that that. Pixar is, is you know, is has all his love. Why? Uh, because all the the devices, the phones, the iPods, the whatever, the gizmos that they that Apple produces, they will they will all end up in a couple of years on in a scrapyard. Uh, they will end in a dumpster, but not the stories that Pixar tells. Those stories will live on for years and maybe for decades. And you know what? That is such a powerful statement. Um, and and, and it, it explains why, why Steve, and, and back then Steve was already sick, so he knew that um, his life would not last very long. And so the, the sicker he became and the more it became clear that, that, that it was terminal, that he would die, the more he wanted Pixar to, uh, to grow and to, to, uh, to flourish and to tell those stories, because those stories last way longer than any device that he had uh, produced in the past. So um, it's based on that that, that uh, Bob Iger approached uh, Steve and, and said, we want to make room for Pixar, and we want to protect it and, and, and give it everything it needs to grow. Back then, Bob Iger didn't know that Steve Jobs was sick. Not at all. And so the day of the merger or the day that both Steve and Bob Iger would announce to the world that Disney would buy Pixar, um, just, I think, an hour before the, the international, you know, they would go live on international TV, um, Steve takes Bob Iger for a walk and tells him that he has been diagnosed with cancer, it's back, and he will die. And so... Bob Iger is totally flabbergasted and uh, uh, did not see that coming. Um, they cried. They uh, and that that became the start of a, of a great friendship. So uh, for the remainder of the of uh, Steve Jobs' last months, uh, they became became very very close friends. And I thought that was a very touching part of the book, and uh, reminds me that in the end, it, these big companies are big not just because they're you know they know the market or they're very good at what they do but their greatness is also in the people that that lead 
Uh, it's the greatness of friendship, the greatness of audacity, because Bob Iger also, you know, knows when to jump and, and knows when to just forget about all your securities. Let's just go for it. Take a risk. He totally could have failed the negotiations with uh, Steve Jobs. But if he had never asked, this would have never happened. And now it's almost unthinkable that Pixar would not be part of, uh, of Disney. So um, I can recommend both books. I uh, certainly the ride of a lifetime. I I do not regret reading that. It ends uh, with uh, a summary of all the let's say more the managerial uh, insights. Uh, so there are some very good lessons to be learned from this book as well. It's not just an, uh, a regular autobiography, but it but it it's also I think very inspiring for anyone who is involved in leadership or, or wants to build up uh, an organization so uh, highly recommend it and with that we move over to uh, what jingle is this i think it's science fiction <laughs> because we need to talk about the super bowl well actually i'm not going to talk about the super bowl because i know nothing about sports let alone <laughs> american football but we do need to talk about a certain marvel trailer that was aired during the super bowl it's only 30 seconds long but oh my goodness it was so awesome, and I want to address it here. I see aliens. Little aliens from outer space. And how are things in outer Plutonia? How many times have I told you not to wear your space boots in the house? Go to shape. I mean, you can donate my body to science fiction. Get your suit on! We need you! I'm talking, of course, about the trailer, the big game trailer. That's... Uh, how it's called on YouTube, which shows us uh, a few select uh, glimpses of three new TV shows that will be coming to Disney Plus, uh, two this year and one next year, as far as I've uh, heard. Um, we we see glimpses of the first uh, series called The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and all these are sequels to uh, to Avengers Endgame. So the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, of course, uh, the Falcon is now the new Captain America. Uh, and he teams up with the Winter Soldier, you know, the original Captain America's old pal, and together they have adventures. I have to say, I, I will certainly watch it, but it is also the series that I am maybe the least excited about because it feels a little bit generic. It's just these two rather minor characters from the, at least, Compared to the other big big people in the in the in the the Avengers series, um, and for some reason I don't know the the actor who plays the Falcon um, never connected with me that much. I don't know why. This just I mean he's a fine actor, but I don't know. There's something missing, and, and I don't really see the chemistry between these two. But maybe some good TV writing can totally change my mind, as it usually does. The second series I was much more excited about, and that is WandaVision. And uh, that is the story, again, of two superheroes from the Avengers. We've got Wanda, Scarlet Witch, and we've got The Vision. Now, as you can imagine, as you can remember, if you've seen Avengers Endgame, The Vision dies in, uh, in Avengers Endgame. So I don't know exactly how they bring him back, but what's what was really surprising and very, very cool about this, uh, this series or what they showed us was that apparently it takes place in the world of TV sitcoms. And so you see stuff in black and white. It just looks just like a 50s sitcom. And then you see some glimpses of, of sitcom-like scenes from the 70s. And, and there is even this one scene where the two characters, both uh, uh, Wanda and The Vision seem to appear in in a sitcom and uh, the vision is black and white, I think, and Wanda is in color. And that immediately reminded me of the movie Pleasantville, which is still one of my guilty pleasures. I love that movie. I don't know why. There's, there's just something about that movie that is so cool. It tells the story of two kids that fight about the remote control and then um, are being... Um, uh, absorbed by the television screen and end up in the 50s in a black and white sitcom and they can't escape the village anymore and they have to get used to all the customs of the of the 50s even though they are from the 90s because this is an old an old movie i think it's from yeah i don't know 
it's definitely. I don't think it's for, from from after two thousand, but maybe I'm wrong. We should ask Mike Kuiper. He knows everything about movies. But anyway, so um, lovely, lovely movie. And what is very cool about that particular movie is that the more the village changes because of these two teenagers from the future, um, the more the black and white world turns into color, and it's such a great concept. So maybe there is something in there. I also heard from, or actually read in the comments, because I posted my reaction video on YouTube, and then I always ask for help, because I'm not really knowledgeable about anything, but I know that some of my viewers, some of my followers, know everything about comics, about uh, the Marvel Universe. So I asked them for some enlightenment, and and so someone explained to me that there is actually a, a comic book series that uh, that has this storyline where uh, Wanda and the Vision end up in a in a, a sitcom world. So that's very cool. And then it ended with perhaps the most exciting uh, announcement, and that is a new series based on maybe the best Marvel villain ever, and that, of course, is Loki. Loki also died in uh, Avengers Endgame, but we saw also a glimpse of him uh, later on in that movie where he seems to be from another an alternate reality or a parallel uh, reality or parallel universe. And in this very brief moment that we see Loki here, he wears a suit with the logo on it. And again, someone told me that, that this is a logo from people that are guarding the boundaries between all these multiverses or something like that, like a police force or something. I have no idea how they're going to spin it, but it is so good to see Loki. And uh, I, I think this may be their biggest hit uh, when it comes to Marvel television series. So it was, it was great fun. And uh, again, uh, it makes me looking, makes me look forward to, to um, the next couple of months. I don't know actually when these series will premiere. I assume it's more for the fall season. I s just got a message that Toy Story 4 is now on Disney+, Plus, and I'm excited about that because I've never seen it. I'm a huge Toy, Toy Story fan, but for some reason I missed it when it was in theaters. So that is definitely on my to-watch list for tonight. And I may review it in the next episode of this show. Let's do a quick visit we to the world are of on the cutting technology. edge of technology. Wow. Well, what does that mean? Plug it in. It's going to say, hey, I see you plugged in a new device. And it's going to load in the appropriate drivers. You'll notice that this scanner built... Whoa. Well, all your technology stuff it just ends in disaster. But there is one more thing. Mike uh, in the chat room says, uh, I haven't seen Pleasantville, but it's from 1998. So definitely before the year 2000. I'm very surprised, Mike, that you haven't seen that movie. I think I may be confused because you did watch Blast from the Past, which is a bit of a similar movie uh, made around the same time. And it's uh, so maybe I got confused, but Pleasantville, I'm pretty sure you would enjoy it. Uh, it's uh, it's totally up up your alley. So I hope you can get uh, <laughs> your hands on a copy of that movie. Um, a very brief tech segment here because I have been uh, trying out uh, a device that I bought uh, two weeks ago from Amazon, from their, um, the, from their, what, what do they call it? The Amazon department. Anyways, their secondhand department. Um, oftentimes what happens is people get presents and then, f for instance, for Christmas, and they send them back. So they can't sell them as new anymore because they've been unpacked. And uh, what Amazon does is it, it enters a description. So you look for what you want to buy, and then there's uh, you can also buy it secondhand for, and in this case, it was almost a hundred bucks cheaper. Uh, it was the Oculus Quest, which, uh, which is uh, uh, the the VR um, headset that um, Oculus and slash Facebook developed um, as a sequel to the Oculus Go, which I have also. Looks almost identical, well, a little bit bigger, but it's much more powerful because it. Uh, uh, has cameras on the outside. So uh, with the Go, you could only look around, but you had to sit in a chair or stand very still. The moment you, you try to bend over or get closer to an object, um, the system couldn't, couldn't process that. And that, that was very, gave an immediate disconnect. With the Oculus Quest, it's much more powerful. 
Um, and it does, it can register six, or what is it, six movements. Or So it's not just left and right and up and down, but also closer and farther away. Um, and I, I was amazed at how much of a difference that makes. Visually, it looks just like the Oculus Go and the the screens, the what is it, the internal lenses, the resolution. That's all very similar to the Oculus Go. It's the the chip, the internal graphics chip, is a little bit more more powerful. Um, but I noticed that a lot of the games that you can buy with the Oculus Quest are very similar are just updated versions of the of the apps that I already had on the Oculus Go. So there's not much of a improvement there. But what is so amazing is that you you so I I've cleared one room just to test this out. And the moment you put on your headset, it you you can use the controllers. That's another thing that the, the Quest has. It has two manual controllers for both hands. And so you can actually grab stuff, whereas the Oculus Go only has a tiny little kind of a remote control that doesn't allow you to do much. But with this, with, with your um, controller, you can trace a, a safe space. You, you actually see the room around you in black and white, and then you can trace a, like a, a glowing line for whatever room, whatever uh, space in your room is free of obstacles. And... Once you finish that, the Oculus Quest knows exactly where you are in the room. And the moment you approach that line, so for instance, in my case, it would be to approach a TV or a bookshelf, it, it will, or a bookcase, it will actually start to display this red grid. Looks a bit like uh, the, the grid from Star Trek, uh, from the, uh, the hollow deck. And, and then you know that, and, and then also the, the, the virtual image will disappear and you will start to see the room again. So that makes it actually quite safe to walk around. And to be able to do that, to walk around in VR without, you know, having this ongoing fear, like I'm going to bump into stuff, is extremely immersive. And uh, it's incredible how much that adds to the realism of the experience. And the second thing that I um, am looking forward to with the Oculus Quest and the reason that I bought it secondhand was uh, that uh, it, uh, this is still a beta function, but you can link it via a cable to a PC. It has to be a powerful PC, so I don't think my old PC can, would be able to handle this. But another reason for me to go build a new one. Um, if you connect it via cable to your PC, then the Oculus Quest becomes a um, like a remote VR uh, headset f that will function as the Oculus Rift. So you'd be, you'll be able to play much more powerful games, even use it in conjunction with Steam VR, which is the VR platform of of Steam of the Steam gaming platform. Which means that there are all of a sudden hundreds of games that are available. Plus, those games are very often on sale and get deep, deep discounts. Whereas if you want to buy your games at the official Oculus store, they're very expensive. Like, uh, it's very normal for the Quest to pay 25 uh, euros for, for, for one game. And of course, quality is good, but I'm not used to those prices. For Oculus Go... Most of the apps are two, three bucks, sometimes five it's a, if it's a really good game. But this is like, whoa, that 25. But but if I can use it as an Oculus Rift and I can use my computer to do all the processing, then all of a sudden VR, the world of VR opens. Also financially <laughs> becomes much more accessible for someone who is a penny pincher like me. So I'm very, very happy with the, this purchase. It was definitely secondhand. You could tell there were some scratches on it. And, oh, one third reason that I wanted to buy it was that um, if you bought it and activated it or linked it to your account before, I think, the 30th of January, they would give you Vader Immortal for free. Vader Immortal is a, a VR game that was developed specifically for the more powerful headsets, like the Quest, by Lucasfilm. And um, in that game, which is, I think, a three-part game, you confront Darth Vader, and you fight Darth Vader, and you hold a lightsaber. And, and from what I've heard, it is an incredible experience. So I was super excited, linked it to my account. On the last day of the offer, nothing happens. I look into my game library, no Vader Immortal. I go to the store, maybe I have to activate 
it's 25 euros. So expensive. So what to do? And uh, and, and so I, I emailed uh, the Oculus uh, help desk, and they're super responsive. So I got a, a reply like an hour later. I've never had that with any company before. And it's like, well, we need some some information, the number of the headset, and et cetera, the, the, the receipt that you got from Amazon. And then they they looked it up and said and got back to me very quickly and said oh but you your headset has already been activated before and so it is already linked to another or it was linked to another account and that account got Vader Immortal and I was like oh no I was so looking forward to playing that Vader game and wield a virtual lightsaber oh man that's what you get when you when you buy something secondhand, it never crossed my mind that uh, it may had have been uh, activated by the previous owner because apparently that's what the guy from Oculus told me. Uh, it was activated on the first day of Christmas, so this was a Christmas gift. <laughs> and then they they register it, they download Vader Immortal, and then they send it back to to Amazon. I mean, that is just so not fair. But then. This was so surprising. the 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 person who contacted me said, "Hey, I've um, I've connect, I've uh, added Vader Immortal to your account. Uh, if there's anything else I can help you with, then by all means, tell tell us." I was like, "Oh wow, that is so uh, I." So I went from total disappointment to elation. It was like that is so cool that despite the fact that they've already gifted that that game to the other person. They have this, apparently, permission to also help people like me who didn't know that that, that buying a secondhand uh, Oculus Quest would also, you know, uh, uh, rob them from the opportunity to try out uh, Vader Immortal. But that's that's customer service. So now I'm a fan. Now I'm like, oh, these guys at Oculus, they're awesome. <laughs> so, and, and for them, it, it's digital stuff, so... They probably have this bulk license to give the the game away for a certain time, and it won't cost them much. But it's just a gesture that matters so much. So that was a good lesson in uh, how a, a little gift can go a long way into, you know, forming uh, or building up a reputation. All right, that's it for this uh, episode of uh, my weekly show. Thank you so much for listening and. Uh, Thanks for all of you that have supported me on patreon.com slash Father Roderick. I will see you next week. Take care and God bless.